Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. All right. Uh, Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, there's a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs if you didn't bring a Bible today, so that's okay. It would help you if you had one before you. Um, The text that I'm going to be reading here today is actually going to be handled a little differently. I'm going to be reading several texts uh, as we look here at the life of Ishmael. But start with 16, chapter 16, I'll start in verse 10. Um, Probably most of you are aware that just last month, just a little more than a month ago, we kind of observe the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, <clears throat> um, where's our Abraham sermon slide? We don't have that? Okay. Um, yeah, it's been 20 years now since 9-11 happened. That's just hard for <laughs> me to believe. Uh, probably a lot of you who were old enough to um, remember what happened can remember exactly where you were, maybe even what you were doing uh, when we heard the news about those planes crashing into the Twin Towers in New York City. 3,000 people or so were killed there in New York City, and um, I think it's safe to say that really nothing has been the same since. The entire world has changed since then. Certainly there has been some exacerbated tensions between Arab nations and Westerners or Arabs and Americans, uh, probably some exacerbated tensions between Muslims and Christians as well uh, because of the religious viewpoint and background and history of the people involved in this event. Well, we're looking here at the life of Abraham at New Life every Sunday. We're just considering his life, and Abraham actually is a, a, an extremely unique individual Uh, Because Abraham is actually claimed by the three major world religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All three of these religions call Abraham a kind of a patriarch. All three of these religions consider Abraham to be of supreme importance in their faith. And maybe you know that about uh, Judaism because... Jews believe in the Old Testament, but maybe that surprises you about Muslims, but Muslims believe that Abraham was the first person to submit himself to Allah. And Muslims also believe that true followers of Abraham are Muslims. But I want you to think of this. I looked up these numbers. Um, The number of Jews in the world, about 15 million. I think I would have thought there were more, but about 15 million The number of Muslims in the world, 1.9 billion. The number of professed Christians in the world, 2.4 billion. So you add those three numbers up and we get 4.3 billion people who claim Abraham as a patriarch, who claim Abraham as a central figure in their worldview, in their faith, in the way they look at the world. So if you're ever wondering why are we going through Abraham at New Life and why are we considering all the details of this text, this seems so obscure, this seems so ancient, this seems so out of touch with our current world. Friends, remember, 4.3 billion people consider Abraham a major figure in the way they believe what they do about the world. So we are not wasting our time here by looking through the passages in Genesis about this man's 
life. So we are going through this sermon series. It's called The Life of Abraham. Last week, we saw this new figure who entered into the picture, and his name, as we talked about with the kids, is Ishmael. Ishmael. And uh, to some of you, maybe you're hearing about Ishmael for the first time. If you are here last week, you heard about him, but likely you might not know a lot about Ishmael. But it might surprise you to see that Stories, details about Ishmael show up in four chapters in Genesis, chapters 16, 17, 21, 25, and some considerable attention is given to Ishmael in Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament. We're going to get to that later, not today, but we'll we'll look at that when we get to chapter 21 of Genesis. Um, But a lot of us know very little about about Ishmael, But, but here's the thing I want you to consider about Ishmael today is that Ishmael is very often claimed to be the ancestor of Arab peoples and Muslims today. And, and maybe that's, that's what you believe. It's, it's very commonly held. From Ishmael came the Arab people, and from that descendancy also came the religion of Islam. And so we want to examine whether that's true or not, and see what it is we can learn here from the life of Ishmael. That's what we're going to do today. And so what I'm doing is just taking the different passages in Genesis that talk about Ishmael, and I'm going to read them to you, just pretty short snippets. There's extended treatment of Ishmael in chapter 21. I'm not going to read that. We're just going to wait till we get to chapter 21, and we'll, and we'll look at that chapter and see what we learn. But uh, we're going to read from <clears throat> 16, 10 through 12, chapter 17, 20, and 21, in chapter 25, 12 through 18. So those three passages, so be prepared to flip a little bit if you want to read along, but why don't you stand now for the reading of God's Word. Starting with chapter 16, 10 through 12, we looked at this last week. We went all the way through the chapter, uh, 16th chapter of Genesis last week. So we read this again, 16:10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, that's to Hagar, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Okay, chapter 17. Verses 20 and 21. As for Ishmael, this is God speaking, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And then moving forward to chapter 25, verses 12 to 18. Again, some considerable attention given to Ishmael in chapter 21. We'll wait till we get there as we continue through Genesis. Chapter 25, verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, 
Tema, Jatur, <clears throat> Naphish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Holy Spirit, come and please open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to be kind of turning back and forth among these different passages, so it, it might be a little hard to kind of uh, keep up, but I'll, I'll do my best to point out where we are. I just want to answer three questions here this morning. Um, the first is, who is Ishmael, or who was Ishmael? Who was this man? So, review, last week, Genesis chapter 16, and we saw what happened is that uh, Sarai was still without children. Even though she had received, she and Abraham had received this promise from God that they would have multiple descendants, descendants. chapter 16 opens, Sarah still has no children. So she comes up with that idea. She has a proposal, what I called a shortcut last week. She has a proposal. She says to Abram, uh, here's what we're going to do. We've got this Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, and um, Abram, you can have relations with her, and we'll be able to conceive of a child, and we, by our own power now, will be able to bring about the promised child that God has told us about. And so Abram does what his wife says, and he has relations with Hagar, and it says at 86 years old, a child was born to Hagar through Abram, and this child's name was Ishmael. And then at the end of chapter 16, as I have read, we get a description of what this man, Ishmael, is like. He's a, he's a wild donkey of a man, it says. It says his hand is against everyone, and everyone's hand is against him. In other words, he's a, he's a contentious man. He's a hostile man. He's, there's antagonism in him, and he enters into conflict with, with many people. But there's also this promise at the end of chapter 16, verse 10, that Ishmael's descendants were going to multiply and become this great nation. And if you've been uh, with us throughout this study, that will uh, sound familiar to you because that's exactly what God promised he would do with Abram, that he would multiply Abram's descendants and make Abram into a great nation. And so we see this interesting parallel now between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Abram. Both of them are going to be great nations. And we learn also that from both of them will come 12 tribes. We haven't heard this yet about Abram, but as we continue throughout the book of Genesis, we'll hear about the 12 tribes of Israel. But we did learn here in chapter 17 that there will be 12 princes coming from Ishmael. And so these are kind of parallel to the 12 tribes of Israel. Ishmael will have these 12 princes. They're listed in chapter 25 and the descendants that come from those 12 princes. So, a, a bit of a spoiler alert here, you know, we're getting a little bit ahead of the story, I, I understand that, I think probably most of you know the story anyway, but, but we are looking ahead a little bit. Um, so, what do we learn about Ishmael? Well, in chapter 17, I didn't read the whole passage about Ishmael in chapter 17, but what we see in chapter 17, which we'll cover next week, God willing, is that God comes and he makes a covenant with Abraham, specifically, 
And he promises that a son indeed is going to be born, and this time God specifies, yes, it is going to come through Sarai. He hadn't specified that yet, but he will in chapter 17. And that that son born to Sarai is Isaac, and God is very specific in saying that the covenant is going to be established through Isaac. So we have this weird kind of tension here in that God says to Ishmael, I'm going to bless him, I'm going to make his name great, I'm going to make him fruitful, I'm going to make him into a great nation. God's going to be kind to Ishmael, and yet at the very end of chapter well, 1721, God says very clearly, I established my covenant through Isaac. I'm going to bless Ishmael, but my covenant promises are not going to extend through him. So that's made clear in chapter 17. And then chapter 21, uh, again, didn't read that this morning, but um, what happens there is Isaac is born, and when Isaac is born to Sarah, we get this description of Ishmael laughing. And the word can also be translated mocking. And so Ishmael seems to be regarding the birth of Isaac with some sort of uh, contempt, perhaps, and as a result of that, Abram, Sarai, they, they kick uh, Ish, uh, Hagar and Ishmael out of the family, and they go out into the, uni- uh, the universe, the wilderness, and uh, they're in a bad spot, and they're, they're weeping and crying, and they're, they're languishing, and they're thirsty, and um, Sarai just kind of goes off, or Hagar goes off to another spot to just kind of allow Ishmael to die, and then God shows up and shows great kindness to them, and he provides water for them. And um, uh, it says that God has heard the cry of Ishmael. And so from that, we are reminded of what the word Ishmael actually means, which is God hears. And so God hears Ishmael, cares for him, and promises. Again in chapter 21, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then we get to chapter 25. And that's where we have this genealogy. So it's a list of the descendants of Ishmael through these 12 princes. The 12 sons are named. Um, We learn also that Ishmael died at 137 years old. Uh, Life spans quite a bit longer at that time. And then in chapter, verse 18, we see again this statement that uh, Ishmael is going to be over and against his kinsmen, which is exactly what was said in 16. Verse 12, this prophecy in 1612 is fulfilled in 2518. Ishmael is going to be against his kinsmen, that is against his family members, against members of the nation of Israel. He's going to be hostile. He's going to be contentious. Okay? So that's just a broad overview of the life of Ishmael, what we know from what the Bible says. I didn't give you every single detail, but just summary points here. Ishmael, here's for the kids. I'm making it easy. Okay, um, He's the first son of Abraham. He's born to Hagar, not to Sarah. God says he's going to be a great nation, and he's not the promised child. The covenant is not going to go through him. It's going to go through Isaac. Now, a question that is raised and that some people talk about is this. Was Ishmael saved? Was he a believer in Yahweh, the one true God? And the answer is that there's no evidence for that. And in fact, evidence would suggest to be to the contrary, based on what I just said, 2518, 1612. He's over and against his kinsmen. He has set himself up against God's people. 
is what the text seems to say. And in fact, if we look at Psalm 83, this is a psalm about the enemies of God. And it says, they say, the enemies of God say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tens of Edom and the Ishmaelites are named among those who conspire with one accord against God and his people. <clears throat> so that's not a good sign for the salvation of Ishmael. We certainly don't have any evidence that he had saving faith or ever declared allegiance to or belief in Yahweh. So that's a brief overview. Who was Ishmael? So let's get now to this question. Was Ishmael the ancestor of Islam and the Arab people? <clears throat> Uh, maybe to, to a lot of you this is a, a brand new idea and you've never even thought about it, but it just seems like a lot of Christians that I meet just assume that this is true. In fact, I texted two of my good friends, good Christian friends, and asked them, um, do you think that um, Ishmael is the ancestor of Muslims and the Arabs? And both of them just immediately wrote back and said, yes. And I said, well, why, why do you think that? And they said, well, because of what it says in Genesis. And then I said, well, what is it that it says in Genesis about this? And they said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I, I, I said, I'm dealing with this in the sermon next Sunday, so I just wanted to see what you guys thought. But there was just this immediate assumption, yes, well, let's, let's look into this. <clears throat> I want to look at this from two points. One, what Islam says, and then what the Bible says about this. So first of all, what what Islam says, and that is what is said in the Quran, <clears throat> what is said through Islamic tradition. And so from those sources, it's pretty clear through the Quran, Islamic tradition, that the belief is that Ishmael is a prophet. So Islam has high respect for Ishmael. Um, they do believe that Ishmael is an ancestor of the Arab people and that Muhammad himself was a descendant of Ishmael, Muhammad being the founder of Islam. So they believe that there's a strong connection in that way. And they also believe that when we read in Genesis of these accounts where Ishmael and Hagar went out into the wilderness, particularly when they were exiled from their family in chapter 21, according to Islamic tradition, what they did is they settled in Mecca. So Ishmael left, settled in Mecca. That's the holiest city in Islam. It's located in Saudi Arabia. And that Ishmael at that time married an Arab woman. And so from there, the theory is that the Arab peoples develop. But also according to tradition, Abram and Ishmael together, it is said, went to Mecca and built this um, thing called the Kaaba. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, K-A-A-B-A, -A -A, the Kaaba, and it's like a cube-like structure in the middle of one of the most important mosques in Mecca that is said to be the most sacred site in all of Islam. So Mecca, the most sacred city in Islam, this is the most sacred location in the most sacred city. And it is said that Ishmael, along with Abram, built this Kaaba in the middle of this mosque. And so it's very common within the Islamic tradition to hold Ishmael as an ancestor of their faith and of their nationality. And so 
uh, as a way of demonstrating this, here's two people. Yasser Arafat, he was the president of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, uh, if you're younger, maybe you don't recognize his name, but he was in the news all the time when I was a kid. Uh, but here's what he says. Be assured that the many indignities heaped upon our people since ancient times must and shall be avenged. Surely the judgment of Allah is reserved for them until Palestine is transferred from holy war to the house of Islam. Ishmael shall have his revenge. So that's how Yasser Arafat envisioned this. This, this is the revenge of Ishmael. That's how central Ishmael is to Islam, according to Arafat. Another example, Hashimi Rafsanjani, he was the uh, president of Iran um, in the 1990s. And he said, every problem in our region can be traced to a single dilemma, the everlasting struggle between Ishmael and Isaac cannot cease until one or the other is utterly vanquished. So again, a prominent place given to Ishmael in the thinking of these two uh, Islamic Arabic leaders. Bottom line, according to Islam, as I understand it, Ishmael is considered the physical father of the Arabs and also the spiritual father of Islam. Physical father of the Arabs, spiritual father of Islam. This is accepted, believed by, by many Christians. Martin Luther has written about this and believe this to be true as well. <clears throat> That's what Islam says. But what, what does the Bible say? So let, let's consider that. I mean, first of all, right off the bat, there is a contradiction. I don't know if any of you noticed this. It's kind of a small detail, but Islamic tradition says that Ishmael married an Arab woman, but chapter 17, verse 21 of the Scriptures says that Ishmael married an Egyptian woman. So we have already a conflict between what Islamic tradition and the Bible says, but the idea that Ishmael is the ancestor of Arabs, largely comes from, at least biblically speaking, chapter 25, where there was that list of all of the sons of the princes of Ishmael. And so um, these areas are mentioned, such as um, Nebaioth in verse 13, 25, 13. Nebaioth happens to be today a city called Hayil that is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, verse 14 talks about uh, Mishmah. It's another place where the descendants of Ishmael settled. Mishmah. That is a city called Jabal Mismah in Saudi Arabia also. Verse 14, Tima is mentioned. That's modern day Tema, which also is in modern day Saudi Arabia. And so the conclusion is drawn. You see these descendants of Ishmael, and they settled in this area that we know today to be Saudi Arabia, and so therefore a connection is made between Ishmael and the descendants. And so I think maybe the reasoning that some people use might go something like this. <clears throat> Ishmael's descendants landed in what is today Saudi Arabia. Ishmael is called in the Bible a wild donkey of a man who is contentious and has his hand set against everybody. We see attacks in the news like the 9-11 attacks. We see these committed by Islamic fundamentalists. And therefore, 
some people draw the conclusion, Arabs must be violent people. And I'm scared of them. And I don't want to be on an airplane with them. And I don't want them living in my neighborhood. Because that's what the Bible says. And I would just warn you against drawing that conclusion. It's totally unwarranted. Now, is there teaching in Islam which seems to encourage violence? Yes. I think that's pretty clear. In the teaching of the Quran and in Islam, there is an encouragement to violence. But does that mean that Arab people are by their nature violent and angry and trying to set bombs in your neighborhoods to blow you up? No. And you should be very slow about drawing that conclusion. That, that's, that's, that's the definition of racism. You know, when you take something you know about a couple people and then you consider that all people in their ethnic group are exactly the same. It's called a broad generalization, it's a logical fallacy, and it's racist. So, be careful about how you reason when you look at the scripture. Because here's the problem, friends. The time of Ishmael, what's described for us in Genesis 25, was a long, long, long time ago, 4,000 years ago. And it's very hard to trace anthropologically where the people groups have migrated since these descendants of Ishmael settled in these areas that are now Saudi Arabia. Is it possible that they're still there and they're Arabs? Yeah, I mean, that's possible, but is there any evidence that that's the case? According to my research, the answer is no. There's no evidence for it. I'm not saying it's impossible, but there's just no evidence for it. Uh, in the commentaries that I looked at, the commentators just didn't even touch the subject. And the only one, at least of the ones I read, the only one that did was a guy named John Walton, and he says, Arabs claim to be descendants of Ishmael, but the historical data are sufficiently scant or scarce to make it difficult to trace that lineage with confidence. In other words, he's saying the historical evidence is just not there to show that this is the case. I uh, emailed a guy I got in contact with, a Christian apologist. He has a Ph.D. in Islamic studies, he says there's no evidence to connect Muslims to Ishmael. So just understand, friends, this is not a conflict between what you've thought and what the Bible teaches. There's no conflict with the Bible. It, really, the conflict exists between what the Bible kind of doesn't say and what Islam does say. It's the tradition of Islam that is making a lot of these claims that don't seem to have any foundation in the scriptures. So was Ishmael the ancestor of Islam? Simple answers we don't know, but probably not. So third question here. What can we learn from Ishmael today? What can we learn? So first thing is this. I think there's a caution, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a caution for us. And that is that we need to always test everything by scripture. Even those things that you've inherited, those things that people have told you, those things that you have just assumed, remember what Acts 17 tells us, the Jews who are more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word from Paul with all eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They weren't just accepting whatever people told them. They went to the Bible. Is it in the Bible? Can I confirm it in the scriptures? That was their first priority. Friends, there are so many popular phrases spread out there in our culture that people like to say, like, God moves in mysterious ways. 
and God helps those who help themselves. And God won't give you more than you can handle. Not one of those is in the Bible. They're not biblical statements. Is there some truth to them? I mean, maybe. Yeah, we can talk about each of them, but they're not biblical. And this idea that many Christians seem to have uh, assumed that Ishmael is the ancestor of Islam apparently is not taught in the Bible either. Second thing, there's a caution, excuse me, a challenge. That does say caution, doesn't it? I just did caution. A challenge. Um, a challenge. And, and that is this. N notice as I've been talking here about Ishmael, there's something remarkable about the way God treats Ishmael. The covenant goes through Isaac, not through Ishmael. Ishmael, it doesn't seem, was even saved. Ishmael is this contentious wild donkey of a man who sets himself up against God's people, and yet God still cares for him. I mean, isn't that remarkable? He heard his cry and was moved with compassion and came and cared for and provided and blessed Ishmael. That's a great challenge to us, friends. As Christians, we are called to love people who don't look like us and think like us and believe like us. That's the way God is. Matthew Henry says this, many are full of the blessings of God's providence who are strangers to the blessings of His covenant. God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He is kind to all, and so should you and me. Regardless of how we disagree, regardless of how different we are, regardless of how much might, people might be against our beliefs, we are to treat them with kindness and love and never demonize people of any ethnic group, no matter what they believe. And then thirdly, there is a correction. Because there is a common belief that has also been handed down in some circles based on this thing that I mentioned at the start of the sermon, which is that Abraham is the patriarch of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and many people conclude from that, therefore, they must all worship the same God. And that needs to be corrected, because that is not true. We don't all worship the same God. Listen, just thinking logically about this, friends, it is conceivably possible that all three of those religions could be wrong, but it's not possible that they can all be right because they have entirely different conceptions of who God is, mutually exclusive conceptions of who God is. We as Christians believe that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God. We recited this in the Nicene Creed earlier. By reciting the Creed, that's one of the ways we get together and we say this is what we believe in distinction from what other religions believe. What we recited this morning would not be recited by a Muslim and would not be recited by a Jew, because they don't believe it, because they know that's not their religion. The religions are not the same. It doesn't mean people in other religions are bad or evil or awful. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying theologically they're not the same. And so the scriptures are clear. Look what it says in 1 John 2, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Deny Jesus, you don't have God. You don't know God. You have not relationship with God if you deny the Son. And then we have these words of Jesus himself. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
There's one provision for your sins, and it's in the work of Jesus Christ. This is God's way of providing reconciliation between sinners and God. This is true for the Ishmaelites, wherever they are right now. I don't know. But it's true for the Arab nations. It's true for all Americans. And it's true for you. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Only Jesus is God in the flesh. Only Jesus paid the penalty for sins on the cross. Only Jesus is resurrected from the dead. No other religion claims that. So friends, let me encourage you, first of all, to believe that, but then secondly, to do what you can to take this message to the world. Because there are people all over the world and many of them in the darkness of Arab nations where Islam reigns who don't know the saving grace of Jesus. And that should move our hearts to do all that we can to get the gospel to those peoples that all peoples and all tribes and all tongues would praise his name. Father, we thank you for saving us. Thank you for having mercy on us. And thank you for giving us the task of taking the gospel to the nations Lord God, please motivate us to do that. Give us a heart for the lost, Lord, that Jesus would be proclaimed, people would be converted, and that your name would be exalted high and that every knee would bow to you. In Jesus' name, amen.